I've been in a battle. No, I'm not bruised or anything like that. I've been in a battle with God. And uh, I came out lost. I lost. He's asked me to do two things I feel very uncomfortable in doing. And this morning, I'm sure it's going to show. The first thing I feel very uncomfortable in doing, and I, uh, my family knows I just don't like doing it, is asking for money. I don't want to raise. That's not it. That's no. Um, but this instrument that we have presently on the uh, pulpit area is not sufficient. You might remember in the June, the business meeting we had, I explained to you that this instrument is all my fault. I took the advice of an individual whom we have been in contact with, thinking that this would be a great instrument to replace the older piano that we used to have on this side. And over time, we've come to realize that I made a huge mistake. This piano has not lived up to the billing. It's like preachers. But this piano needs to go. I don't care where it goes, it just needs to go. But I'm going to ask you for something this morning. You don't have to respond to it right now. But if there is someone in the congregation who wouldn't mind scratching me a check for $40,000, I'd appreciate that. That's what it's going to take to get a brand new piano on this platform that can be used for the glory of God. Now you're all thinking, why $40,000 is because we don't need a $200,000 piano. That's the present market price of a brand new six foot one Yamaha grand piano that all of our pianists had the privilege of playing. And they've come back with one word exclamation. Wow. Many of you don't know, but this piano, as the pianists, they're that good that as they're playing with the right hand, the left hand is pulling keys up because they stick. We've had the individual here to try to fix it time and time again, and it's unsuccessful. So beginning in June, I believe it was, maybe even in May, we, we meaning all the piano players and me, I was the the bum wheel on the wagon. I can't play the piano, but I can hear it. And many of you can't, but I know this piano is not good. We have been investigating. And the ladies have come back with the, the piano that they love. Now, let me tell you about that piano. It comes with a motorcycle because it's a Yamaha. 
I'm thinking nothing small, but no, it doesn't. But it will be used for piano recitals in our sanctuary. It will be used that individuals who give piano lessons can hold their lessons here. It's not just going to sit and look pretty. It's going to be used for the honor and glory of the Lord. The business upon which has given us the idea of a new piano says that they will take this one away and give us money for it. Presently, I said $40,000. If someone here would scratch a check for thirty-six, we'd be okay, right? Amen? We'd be okay with thirty-six, Because we've already put 2000 down to hold it. And they're going to give us 2000 for this. So we need thirty-six. I've been told that there already is a piano fund has been started. There's a little bit more in that fund than a dollar. I don't know exactly how much is in there, and I don't need to know. But we really would love a new piano for the honor and the glory of Christ. It will affect you. I guarantee you it will affect you because it will be the best. So if the Lord lays it on your heart in the next coming weeks, we'd really like to get that piano here as quickly as we can. For the next thing I am very uncomfortable in doing, I must take a swig of water. I had problems all week long in coming together to share with you the next, if you will, reason that societies fall apart. It's all right here. But I can't share it. God has something more for me to do today. And I didn't know about it until this morning. All I knew is all week long, I was, my wife saying, what's the matter? I said, I don't know. But God has a different plan. And he finally opened it up to me this morning at 8.30. So I'm really hoping the Holy Spirit has got his notes together because I got none. Only what he's drawn me to do. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 14. When I was at North Anvil Bible Church, the same situation came to me. I was sitting, listening to the singing, and 
getting ready to come up and share my notes, and there was a tug on my heart not to preach that. And I said, but I, I don't know what else to preach. And at that time, I didn't heed the Spirit's leading. And to this day, I've made a promise that I would never let that happen again. So this morning we find ourselves in John chapter 14. I'm only going to focus on the first six verses. And the first thing you're going to know is say, Pastor, we've heard this so many times. What new stuff is there? I don't know what the Holy Spirit will do for you this morning. But it's a passage that I must share. What's interesting about John chapter 14 is it begins and it closely ends with the exact same words. Let not your heart be troubled. It's in verse 1. And then again, it is mentioned over in, in verse, let me just quickly find it. In verse 27. Let not your heart be troubled. I found out enough that when the Holy Spirit inspired individuals to write the words, things that are repeated should get our attention. And in chapter 14, there are six reasons that Jesus shares in the upper room with his disciples, six reasons why their hearts should not be troubled. We're only going to look at one. And the first six verses is the first one. Follow along as we read. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can we pray together? Lord, I stand before you trembling. I had things, I had a whole study ready to go, and, and you said no. I don't have notes. I don't have an outline. I don't have a poem to finish. And so I stand before you in the presence of these people, your children, trembling. As with every time I stand behind this pulpit, I realize that I need you. 
because my words are nothing. We've been introduced through song. The reason why is because you alone are holy. You alone are our mighty fortress. And you alone have sent us the Lamb. So this morning, as we contemplate these words, I pray that you would work in my heart. I pray, oh God, that you would work in all of our hearts. Because if anything we can see in our society today, it's causing us to be troubled. The most recent episodes of the world have drawn us to the question of, God, what is happening? Why? Where is this all coming to? So we find ourselves coming to this passage most likely in many of the same ways that you spoke to the disciples in the upper room. Let not your heart be troubled. So God, I pray that you would calm our hearts, that you would lay bare our hearts and souls to you. As David, would we pray, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Try me. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead us in the past for your sake. That's my prayer this morning, O oh God. Would you, by your Spirit, teach us this day all for your honor and for your glory, I ask these things. Amen. From John chapter 13 all the way through to John chapter 16, it is known in the theological circles as the upper room discourse. It's Jesus with his disciples alone. Twelve of them. One of them is going to leave because he has another chore to do. His name is Judas. But the other 11 are there and they're hearing Jesus talk. They, they're having this Passover meal. They are reclined. They're not sitting in chairs at the table as Michelangelo tried to depict. No, they are reclined with Jesus being at the pinnacle. John would have been on his right side because he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. He is the high guest. Peter would have been on the left not that going around Peter's the lesser one, but Peter would have been on the left. 
And so Jesus begins to teach them. And the first thing that causes them to be troubled is that Jesus is saying, I'm going away. I'm leaving. Now, that's not the first time that Jesus said that. You can go back and check all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you will find out that there were four to five, depending upon which gospel you were in, there are four or five times when Jesus is saying, I've got to go to Jerusalem to die. In one of those aspects, you might remember Peter coming forward and saying, I'm not going to let you die. And then Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So what Jesus has proclaimed in this passage, beginning in chapter 13, is not something new. But now it began to sink in. Because Jesus described what he's going to go through. I'm going to be turned over to evil men. They are going to beat me beyond recognition. They are going to take my life. And I've got to go. So naturally their hearts are troubled. And Jesus then hits them right between the eyes when he says, all of you are going to leave me. That's when Peter on the left says, I'll never leave you. I'll give my life for you, Jesus. And as chapter 13 closes, I can just imagine Jesus going, Pete, you don't get it. Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. Then Jesus says, but let not your heart be troubled. Why? What what is God's prescription for not being troubled? In the first six verses, it focuses on one thing. A promised place. A promised place. But a promise is only as good as the one who gives it. If you don't tell mom, I promise to give you a million dollars. My sister has yet to not do that. Promises are only as good as the one who has the power to provide it. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, 
believe also in me. In that statement alone, Jesus has solidified why we shouldn't be troubled. I wonder if the disciples didn't take immediate inventory. I mean, think about it. When they were there and they saw Jesus feed over 15,000 people with a little boy's lunch. They were there when Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Get in the boat. And Jesus fell asleep in the front of that boat. And even then the disciples said to Jesus, don't you care that we die? It's an interesting thing for sailors to say, because I'm sure they've seen storms before, but this one was beyond their imagination, so much so, don't you care? And Jesus gets up and he says, peace, be still. And when you read that, the next phrase is amazing. It said, who is this that even the waves obey his voice? They were there when Jesus healed a little girl. They were there when the penniless woman came and touched his garment and was fully healed. They were there. Even when Jesus confronted demonic forces, they saw it all. And so when Jesus said, if you believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, what I'm going to promise, I'll fulfill because I can do it. Take inventory of your own life. How many times have you seen God do things that just amazes you? How many times have you come to the scriptures and have read a message from Christ and you say, yes, he did that. He did that. And too often we're like the disciples. We have early amnesia and we forget. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. Now he gets to the promise. I go to prepare a place for you. It's a place that all of you seated here have not yet seen. And when you do finally get to see it, you're not going to come back and tell us what it's like. Because it'll be prepared just for you. And Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. You may have dwelling places. Let me just let you in on what that means. 
there's enough. There'll be enough room for you and for anyone else who would believe. I go to prepare a place for you. And what solidifies that promise, the place, first of all, is the power. Jesus said, I'm going to do it. I am preparing a place for you. My place, my mansion, going to be green grass. Simplicity 18 horse mower deck, ready to go. Endless gas, it's not going to cost me anything. I just get to ride. I don't know if that's what it's going to be, but of course it's, it's going to be green grass and New York giant blue. Blue always shines over eagle green. I want to let you know. But Jesus said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. What's interesting about that word prepare is this. It won't be finished until you get there. It's not going to be done until the moment you get there. And you'll know it's going to be done because that's when you get there. You all get that? Jesus is busy right now preparing for us this place. Some are already there. Oh, I know. That hurts our hearts. We wish they were here. And they wish that you're there. I know. I know. But Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming again. To take you that where I am, there will you be also. I've quickly gone over a phrase and I must go back and highlight. Because Jesus said, if it wasn't so, I wouldn't tell you. And that reminds me of his word. What is it in the word of God that Jesus has said? That he can't do. What is it in God's word. That gives us the indication that this can't be true. For Jesus said if it wasn't true I wouldn't have told you. He's solidifying in their minds and I hope in our minds this morning that. 
what God said he will do. When you go into the later epistles, you will eventually find yourself come to 2 Timothy. <laughs> and, as G- and as Paul is writing to Timothy, he comments on the fact that some will say, well, we've heard all of that before and it hasn't yet happened, so can we really even believe it? Where is this Jesus? Well, there's one thing I know. That what Jesus says, he will do. He's coming. Up until 8.30 this morning, I'd wish he would have come sooner. Because I was troubled. But I'm here, and you're here. We're only short timers, by the way. Life is as grass grows and fades in the sun. It's done. That's life here. Life there never ends. You don't want to know why? Because Jesus said, where I am, there you will be also. He is the eternal king. He is the Lord of lords. He is the almighty God. He is the creator and sustainer of all there is. Should I continue on? He is the mighty one of glory. He is described as being God almighty. He is the lover and keeper of our soul. He's the great I am. He is the door. He is the bread. He is the water of life that never stops. I saw an interesting quote when someone was referring to John chapter 4 where Jesus is found at the well in Samaria. And a woman comes there. And the quote is so interesting. For it said, you didn't come for water. You came for me. Signed, Samaritan woman. He is the seeker. He is the great high priest. He is the shepherd of the sheep. He is the foundation, the chief cornerstone of the church. He is life-giving and power instilling in anyone who would believe. Where I am, there you'll be also. Then he goes on to highlight another statement when he says, where I'm going you know, and the way you know. That gives me the indication that that's not the first time Jesus said that to his disciples. They probably would have heard that somewhere else. 
they probably would have been made aware of that this one who can calm the sea can also provide a life eternal. He had to talk about his father's house, for he says, where I'm going, you know. And the way you know. Thomas, I, I can put myself in Thomas's shoes. He, asks this, he says the same statement we all want to say. Let me give it to you straight. Uh-uh. No, we, we don't know where you're going, and we certainly don't know the way. What are you talking about, Jesus? We're here. We're in this upper room. We ought to be talking about the kingdom. That's why we fear you came to establish your kingdom. And so we want to have part in that. Remember the episode with James and John? Mama comes and says, let one sit on your right and the other sit on your left in your kingdom. That's what we should be talking about. But you're talking about something that we don't know and we have no idea where. We're lost, God, we're lost. Don't we find ourselves in that situation too in our own life? What we expect God to do, and he doesn't. He's got something else planned. He's working out his own perfect will, and we're wondering what is happening. That's not what I anticipated. Ten years ago, I had no idea where Herndon, Pennsylvania was. And I love the reaction when people ask me, where are you from, Herndon? And they got the same reaction I had. Where's that? Just a little bit south of Sunbury. Yeah, well, that didn't help me either. God was working it out. And then Jesus hits us. You want to know why the place, the understanding of where we're going, brings peace in the midst of storm, that it can calm a troubled heart in the midst of the darkest time, is because Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There be many that will argue with that particular situation because there are those that believe there are many ways to God. I'm sorry, they're not. I'm really glad that God loves us that much that he has specifically told us how? There's no wishy-washy here. There's no maybe or, well, what about this? Or No, it is this. Jesus said, if you want it all, there's only one way you can get it. And that's through me.
nothing else. You don't need any more, and you can't have any less. I'm glad that we can know the way. What is evident about that is a closing minutes sharing with you a story. I think, I, I don't believe it's true as far as the, the whole making of this particular story, but I draw you forward now to the time of when Jesus is on the cross. And one of the thieves comes to his senses and says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? This day, you'll be with me in paradise. Remember that where I am, there you'll be also. This day, you'll be with me in paradise. Where the story gets a little foggy is now. This thief shows up at the gates of heaven. Tradition tells us Pete guards the gate. I don't think he does, but I'll go with that. Because we some traditions aren't so bad, but he meets Pete. Pete asks, why are you here? I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Why are you here? He said, I don't know. Well, what gives you the right to be here? The guy in the middle said so. Now, Pete's getting flustered. You have no idea why you're here? He said, no. Wait, wait, let me get this straight. How many church services have you been to? None. How much money have you given for the new piano? None. In fact, I used to take money. He was a thief. Pizza. I got, I got to go get my supervisor. My supervisor comes. And, now let me get this straight. Why are you here? I, I don't know. Do you know anything? about the, the theology of soteriology? I don't even know what that word is. Have, have you been baptized? No, there wasn't enough time. Why are you here? How did you get here? I don't know. All I know is the man in the middle said I'd come. 
You see, the moment that we feel we got to do things, we cheapen the middle cross. The only reason I know that I could stand before God and he allow me into his presence, into his heaven, is because what Jesus said. And when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, that settles it. Because now we got to go back to verse 1, which says, if you believe. If you believe. Now that's a humbling thought, isn't it? Especially when Peter writes that the demons in hell believe and they tremble. Well, it's a different Greek word there. The one about the demons is that they have mental knowledge. They know who God is. But Jesus is referring to not mental knowledge only. He's referring to life change knowledge. If you believe in God, Believe also in me. Dear people, I've been here going on 10 years. I've heard your testimonies, some of them, not all of them. But this one thing I am aware of, and I stand unequivocally, and I will never change the fact of it is that you must trust Christ. Period. Because any other way cheapens the one on the middle cross. He died to pay my debt. He died to pay your debt. He died to pay the debt of sin for the whole world. And all he asks is that we would be like that thief and just say, Lord, Remember me. Believe. Every head bow, please, and every eye closed. We don't do this often, but this particular presentation focuses on one thing. What are you doing? Whom are you trusting to get you to heaven? Any other system or form that you may be thinking of or looking into or even living in, if it's not Jesus Christ, then you will be like the thief on the other cross. You'll be lost. But there's hope. There's still hope because we're here today. Oh, Lord God, open our hearts and our lives 
that we would search our hearts and that we would come to try to grasp everything that the disciples tried to grasp in that upper room. But the one thing we need to grasp is you. You are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, and nothing else in this world can match that. Riches fall short. Power leaves us weak. Life, relationships can let us down. Struggles can cause us to lose heart. But knowing, oh God, that we can trust you, even in the midst of the darkest times, causes us to come back like the one thief who said, because the man in the middle said so. My question this morning to all of you here is, do you know him? Have you come to that place where you have simply said to Jesus, save me, I believe. If you know of a time in your life When you trusted Christ as your Savior, I want you to do something this morning. I just want you to lift your right hand up into the air as a testimony, as a thanksgiving testimony to Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving me. How many here this morning can do that? Amen. 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 I put them down. I thank you, God, for those that know. But there are some here this morning that don't know. You've brought them here this morning to hear. And I'm wondering if if they're like that, that one thief that said, Lord, Remember me. I got got no other place to go. I've tried too many things and they've all failed. And I feel empty. I feel troubled. I'm wondering if there's individuals here this morning that maybe, just maybe, you would like to be like that thief and just say, Lord, Remember me. If you're here this morning and, and, and you have a question about eternal life, I would love to be able to pray with you. If you're here this morning and you, you would like to know more about this, I'm not talking about what you've heard before. I'm talking about right here and right now. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, 
and you'd like to do that this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to raise your right hand into the air as a sign of Lord Jesus, I need you. Is there anyone here this morning? Lord Jesus, I need you. How about you individuals who did raise your hand, proclaiming that, yes, there was a time when I trusted Christ as my Savior. Can I ask you a question? When you finally show up to the gates of glory, is it going to be a place of joy? Or will it be a place of concern because of things we are presently active in? In other words, I'm asking you, are you living in thanksgiving for what Jesus has done for you? Maybe there'd be some here this morning who would by simple notification to the glory of God who would say, Pastor, pray for me. There are things in my life that I'm not proud of. There are things in my life that are hindering my fellowship with Jesus. And I need for you to pray for me. Are there any here this morning that would say, Pastor, pray for me. I don't want to show up to the gates of heaven empty-handed. I want to be able to have all that God has for me that I can present it to him. But there's things in my life that got to go. If anyone's here, that would like for me to pray for you on that situation. I ask that you would raise your hand to his glory. Anyone here? Yes, and there are the others. Yes, thank you. Are there others? Don't stop the Holy Spirit working in your life. Just allow him to move. Are there any others? Lord God, we've come to the end of the service, but not to the end of the call. These who raise their hands, I pray for them. I ask, O oh Lord God, that you would strengthen them. I ask that you would release them, free them from those hindrances that are keeping them from experiencing the fullness of your joy. I pray, O oh God, that their prayers of, of repentance will not fall on deaf ears, but that from their hearts they would ask you 
for forgiveness and strength to overcome. Thank you this morning, oh God, for them and for all that by your glory and for your joy they call you Savior. And you call us your children. We rejoice in that. So unto you and to you alone we give you the praise because you are holy and we're but a vapor. And it's in the name of Christ we pray these things. Amen. Let us stand, please, for the benediction. <laughs> Unto you, Lord God, we've come to the end of this service, but it is the door to the beginning of the week. I ask for your protection, for your power, for your presence, for your direction, for your grace, your mercy to be upon each and every one. And may we live for the honor of our King who gave himself for us unequivocally that we might live with him in glory. Unto you, O oh God, I commend these people for your care. And I thank you in the name of Christ.